for tuning into the 535th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, thank you for making me in this show part of your day, whether it be a Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Everett, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcast, network platform you may be listening to me via. Can have a great podcast for you guys today. Can have Eli Weisberger on part one of a two-part series we recorded uh, maybe like seven days ago on NBA takeaways so far in the NBA season. Uh, gonna get my Super Bowl thoughts right. Congrats to the Chiefs beating the Philadelphia Eagles for the next podcast. We're we'll gonna have Kenny Samaj getting expert for 47 Sports. We'll probably also talk a little bit about that coaching carousel that's going on. Now, before we get to all this, and we get to Eli, I'm gonna get my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast to friends and family, whether via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below, specifically if you Spotify, everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to. Folks, it is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitrant underscore lane. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl and you'll find out post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my second show outside the shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review. And for some odd reason, I'm not the pod, then for now, don't worry not, folks. But just don't say anything because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Eli Weisberger on the show. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. The stage is set and we're counting down to the battle in Arizona. There's no better way to get ready for the NFL action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the Super Bowl 57. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Instantaneously, folks. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout. With DraftKings stepped up same game parlays, boost your Super Bowl 57 winnings. With each leg, you add up to 100%. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on Super Bowl 57 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TPPN. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have Eli Weisberger with us. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So we're going to do our top 15 takeaways as we're kind of heading towards around the midpoint of the NBA season. So, Eli, you wanted to start off with... uh, the Kyrie news and your takeaways there uh, with the trade. I don't know if the trade's official yet, official. Yeah, it's official. Oh, it is? Okay, it's official. Yeah. So Kyrie's going to Dallas. So what's your thoughts about that? All right, so my Kyrie to the Mavericks thoughts, I think it raises the floor, you know, for the, uh, for the Mavericks. You know, Luca finally gets that proven – O-Star, they tried it with Porzingis, didn't work, now they're going to Kyrie, Kyrie is obviously a star, but he's also very unreliable with injury history and, you know, off-court dramatics as well, um, the defense got a lot worse, they lost their best defender in Dorian Finney-Smith, 
Um, losing Dinwiddie is not a big of a deal because you got Kyrie. Um, but losing Dorian Finney-Smith, getting Kyrie, offense is going to be hard to stop. That's no doubt. But I think their defense is really going to suffer. So I don't really see them as you know serious contenders in the West. But they can make a deep run for sure. Yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of at the same for you. I guess I guess you know my takeaway out of all this is yet yeah, Dallas has definitely slightly increased their ceiling because they made it to the West Finals last year and I think I can't say I mean they're more talented now with Kyrie. So if they made the West Finals last year, everything broke their way. Do they have a little bit more firepower in a playoff series? Sure. Uh my question though is is Kyrie going to be okay watching just the Luca show, <laughs> standing in the corner sometimes? How's Kyrie dealing with that? And how's Jason Kidd coaching that situation? Because Luca will do that when he's just at the top of the key and he's just pounding the basketball. Is Kyrie just going to be okay with that? How many possessions is Kyrie going to be like, okay, come on, dude? Yeah, I think we see the the you know the best players in the game always change how they play um, when they get other ball dominant players with them. Um, and I'm curious to see how Luca will change, uh, if at all. I think he will. Um, I don't think he has to be this, you know, 60% usage player. I don't think anybody should have to be that. Um, but I am very curious to see, uh, how he's going to adapt. Cause I do think, I do think like what you said, I think Luca will be the one adapting, uh, more than Kyrie. Oh, Kyrie, yeah. Yeah, Kyrie's going to do whatever Kyrie. Uh, And we should definitely talk about, you know, the Nets side as well. Uh, They obviously got worse because they lost Kyrie. But um, that defense is going to be pretty tough with, you know, Finney Smith, Claxton, Kevin Durant, uh, Royce O'Neal, Ben Simmons, uh, and others. That's going to be a really tough defense, but Kevin Durant just doesn't have a co-star now. So, you know, where do you go from here? What does KD want to do? That's what's the most important thing. What does KD want to do? It's great that they got that 2029 unprotected first-round pick, but he doesn't care about that. He's not going to be on the team in 2029. He might not be playing basketball. He's probably not. He's going to be retired. He's probably not even going to be playing basketball. Yeah, hey, KD, don't worry. We got a 2029 20, draft pick, and KD's like, okay, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Good for you. I don't know how that conversation goes. It's like telling somebody that's 80 years old, like, don't worry, in 10 more years, we got like 100,000 coming to you, and you're like, well, I might not be here in 10 years, so what's the problem? I'm like, what? <laughs> how does that help me? Uh, yeah, I guess we can do two takeaways then off this. I guess that would kind of go into my next takeaway. The Nets have been one of the most... This has been one of the most toxic teams that situation in sports that I can ever remember. That's kind of my take on all of this. From how things started with and ended with... Well, actually, how it started with getting James Harden there and all the Ben Simmons drama that was either Harden or Simmons, them jettisoning the whole roster to how it all ended with Harden basically quitting on the team, then the Kyrie Irving disappearing out of nowhere for five games, then Kyrie's coming back, then the Kyrie anti-vax, that he's not playing, then Kyrie comes back, uh, to then this Kyrie year... Kyrie anti-Semitism. 
Yeah. To then, like, Durant requesting a trade, to then Durant getting hurt again, and to then Ben Simmons, you know, still doing Ben Simmons things, to Steve Nash getting fired, to Katie requesting Steve Nash to get fired, to then be like, no, we won't fire Steve Nash, and they fire Steve Nash anyway, to then when Ime Odoka had a scandal, they're like, we're going to hire Ime, and then that fizzles out. Like, all of it has just been, it's been so weird, it's been so crazy to the point where, like, if you told me two to three years ago when this thing all started that all this would happen, I would be like, okay... That's probably uh, a little bit too much spice. Like we're probably overdoing it for saying all this is going to happen. But no, all this did happen. It was a S H I T show from the beginning, and that's kind of how it looks like it's ending. Uh, so just one of the, and I can't think of like an NBA team that's had like this much just turmoil and dissension just all around through multiple players and coaches. Even how it all started when. Uh, their, their first coach got fired, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. When, when Kenny Atkinson shouldn't have been gotten, shouldn't have been fired. Like, just how all of it started. And, and um, think about it. Every single star that they acquired of Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, all three of them requested a trade. And two of them have been traded since. That's crazy to me that all three, the toxic culture of the Nets has caused all three stars to request trades. It's just, it's just a terrible situation for the Nets and a situation, you know, they created, they, they're reaping the, you know, rewards or consequences, however you want to call it, of know their creation their own creation because even when like i'm thinking about like kobe and Shaq when they had their thing going on and phil wrote the book on kobe like those are just like a couple instances like these are like i just think like 10 or 12 things of just like craziness even when now with the lakers and old russell westbrook thing like there are other instances like you can speak of or even with drag when draymond and he punched pool in the face there are certain like isolated instances you can bring up one two maybe three things but like this is like 10, 12 things of like multiple coaches getting fired or not getting fired, them trying to bring other people in. Just like so much toxicity. Like it's just crazy. Like you have to make it up. It w- It's almost like they were trying to sabotage this whole thing. Like that's how crazy it all is. Like you were writing a story of like how bad can we make this? How can we send this straight to hell and have it burn? How can we do that? Right. I remember... Um, just slightly off topic, but still about the Nets. I remember when Harry even said that, oh, yeah, we don't need a coach. You remember that? Yeah, he's like, on the Katie's, and, on Katie's podcast. Yeah, yeah, and that was before they had, um, had hired Steve Nash. But, you know, that, it, that was just like a microcosm of the numerous problems and dysfunctions that went on within that organization and you know, they made out pretty good with this return, I'd say, for Kyrie, but there's a lot more work to be done for Brooklyn. Or, or even uh, this Kyrie story gets me when they were saying, like, Kyrie would try to run practice last year after Steve Nash. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, just craziness. Just craziness. And, and I also want to add, um, because a lot of people were – thinking that Kyrie might go to the Lakers. Um, 
the Lakers offer was not they were not going to be able to to top that. They were not going to be able to top that offer of Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, and uh, unprotected first in two seconds. You know, they had the two unprotected firsts in Russell Westbrook. That was their best, like that. They don't have any championship or, you know, playoff level role players to offer like the Mavs did. So I'm not really blaming Rob Palenka for not not being able to pull this move off. They just couldn't top that. Nor do I think Brooklyn was in any haste to try to help the Lakers in any way. <laughs> right. I think that that's another factor as well. So what's your next takeaway? All right. So now that we move on from, you know, the Kyrie stuff, my next takeaway is, like, who are the real contenders here? Like, we have... Obviously, the Celtics, the Bucks, in the East, and you know the Sixers are there too. Um, and in the West, like I don't know the Nuggets. Who, who are we viewing as like real contenders in the West? Like the Nuggets. Uh, I don't know the Clippers or the Grizzlies. I don't know. Um, we'll talk. I'll, I'm going to add on to that with another takeaway. But um, I think the only true contenders right now are the Celtics and the Bucks, and I think whoever wins the East is going to win the title. Yeah, we were talking a little bit about that off air, and I kind of agree with you, and that kind of goes into my takeaway, too, uh, and mine was more centered on the West, like, who's, like, the, the West is just as wide open as it's ever been, like, I don't, I can't say with confidence who I think, like, I mean, I think Denver can win the West, I think probably Memphis can win the West, I don't think Sacramento can win the West, but... Sacramento could probably win a playoff series. The Clippers, I mean, I, I told you off the air, I'm, I'm kind of starting to get out on the Clippers, but I guess the Clippers ever get together, they could. I mean, Phoenix, the last two years, they've been to the NBA Finals. They had the best record in the NBA the other year. Uh, Dallas was just in the Conference Finals, and they just added in a star, right? We were talking about Kyrie does. Right. Minnesota, I mean, Golden State, a lot of people's yeah. favorites. They're still lurking. New Orleans was looking so good to begin the year. Like, if you told me, like, if you told me Phoenix found a way to, like, get to the NBA Finals, like, I would, I, I wouldn't pick it, but I'd be like, okay, maybe I see a path. Like, it, it's just, like, like, really? Out of Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, the Clippers, Phoenix, Dallas, Minnesota, Golden State, New Orleans, and Utah, that's the top 10 teams right now in the West. The only two teams who, if you told me if they won the West, I would just be completely shocked are Sacramento and Utah. And then there's other teams that would be a little less shocked. But after that, these those eight other teams, like Minnesota, even Minnesota, I'd be a little shocked too. Maybe I'll put Minnesota in that category. But Dallas, Phoenix, Clippers, Grizzlies, Denver, Golden State, New Orleans. I mean, I wouldn't be totally floored. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm right where... We- there with you man like i think i don't think i would be shocked if any of those teams like you said ended up making a a run um i just i think obviously people are going to say the nuggets like oh yeah nuggets have the second best record in the league they're you know tied in the they're almost uh they're tied with or they're a half game ahead of the bucks um 
for the second best record in the league. They have the best record in the West. Like they have the best offense in the league. But that I mean, their defense is really, really bad. Like their three best players <laughs> Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr., none of those guys are plus defenders. I, I don't I don't think we've seen a, a championship team where none of their bet all their good players are not good on defense. I just don't see it happening with Denver this year. Yeah, and actually, I'll go to that with one to another one of my takeaways was with Denver. Uh, I don't. I, I would say, and tell me if you agree with this, Eli. I I think you need like three plus defenders on your team. Yeah. On the court at all times. At least, at least. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. Th- that should be the goal. I I would say you can have two and for, for stretches, but that's only if like. Our offense is going to be extremely good with only two. But like it has to be. But ideally, for most parts in the game, it has to be three. I, I think a baseline, it should have to be three. Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., and Jokic. Now you have Aaron Gordon in there, and you have Caldwell Pope in there, who are your two plus defenders. I don't. I, I just don't know because you have three guys who just flat out can't defend their own position. In there, they've got, what, three, like, passable defenders at best with Bruce Brown. Yes. Um, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Aaron Gordon. But here's the thing. We just we just discussed we, you're going to need three defenders on the floor. All three of those guys are not going to be on the court together for a long period of time in the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And none of those guys offer, you know, high-level rim protection either, which you need. Um, which is kind of, might, might be an, ind- an indictment on Jokic as a player. Like, he is the best offensive player in the league. And, you know, he's like one of the best offensive centers of all time already. Back-to-back MVP. But his uh, defense is pretty bad. And he's at the most important defensive position in the game. And actually, I think Jokic is a better defender than Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Because at least, I think... <laughs> I, at least, at least I, mean, I mean, in terms of rebound, at least Jokic provides you some rebounding. Like, like I, that's one thing Jokic does provide, and he does that at a fairly high level. Uh, and I think he knows how to play a little bit where, like, he follows rotation and stuff like that a little bit. I think Jokic, and that says, I guess, more about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. You're going to need people to defend the wing in the playoffs. Michael Porter Jr. is not defending anybody, and you're also going to need somebody to stay in front of guys like John Moran in the playoffs. Like, that's going to have well, to happen. You're going to need to stay in front of them, especially when you've got no rim protection to help you. Correct. If, if they get blown by, and they, it's just not going to happen. They're just not going to get be able to get stops. Sorry. Like, the Nuggets are not going to be able to get the stops they need to win the title. To win four series in a row. Um, so, my next takeaway is it bleeds into what uh, we were talking about, you know, with the West. Like, who who is going to come out of the West? Really? Like, I, I'm calling it the wild, wild West here. We went over briefly, like how we could see Denver, Grizzlies, Clippers, 
Suns, Mavericks, Warriors, Pelicans. And we, we went over Denver extensively just now. But, like, what about the other teams? Right? Like, what about the Clippers? What about the Grizzlies? You could you could see, I don't know about the Warriors now, man, after uh, Steph Curry is out at least a month. That's going to be really bad. But what if the Pelicans get healthy? Like, who knows? And, and we have to add that the 10th seed and the 4th seed are separated by only two games. That's crazy. Golden State and New Orleans are both at the bottom of the conference right now in terms of like the top 10 seeds in the in the West, and both those teams can make it to the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> they really could. And actually, I'll tell you this. I think if all these teams are playing their absolute best, I think the Pelicans and the Warriors are probably the two best teams, in my opinion, if both of them are playing their absolute best. I agree. I think I I, I I might put the Grizzlies in there, too. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I like the Grizzlies um, uh, enough to make the finals. I don't like them enough to win the championship. I don't think they have enough star power. Uh, and I don't think they have enough experience either, just because of one playoff run last year. I don't think that's enough experience. To, we know how valuable experience is. In NBA playoffs. So for me, um, I'm going to kind of go to the Timberwolves. And this was something that a lot of people were saying as it happened with the Rudy Gobert trade. But in hindsight, it just looks to me worse and worse and worse. I think the Timberwolves were a team that everybody thought to the beginning of the year could be a team that could take that leap. Similar to how Memphis took that leap last year. Uh, and they just haven't. I don't think Rudy Gobert is completely the problem. It's completely the reason why it hasn't happened. But I think but when you take when you trade as many picks and assets as you do did for Rudy Gobert, you do expect to be able to take that leap and to up yourself into that echelon. Also considering the fact that like the West is wide open. So the, theoretically, this should be the year for the Timberwolves. But I think this kind of gets into a thing. I, I think having Gobert and, and Towns on the court at the same time, I think, is more of a negative than a positive. It just is. And I yeah, think I don't know. I don't know, man. Like I want to see more of of Towns and Gobert together. I I I think they obviously gave up too much for Gobert. No matter what happens from this point forward. Uh, unless they win a championship, it's obvious they gave up too much for Gobert. But I do think they can do good things with him. Carl um, Anthony Towns was bad to start the season, especially on defense. He's just not a good defender. Um, he's going to need more time to mesh with Gobert, I'd say. Um, and I'm, it's also kind of a silver lining with Cat being out because... It's giving Edwards more of a chance to blossom as, you know, the number one guy. And I think he should be the number one guy, not not Anthony Towns in Minnesota. Oh, I thousand completely I agree with you there. Yeah. But I, uh, I so, so my next takeaway 
Unless you have one more thing to add. No, I was just going to say, I, I think that having both those guys as bigs on the court at the same time, I think it's just, I, I think it'd probably be better if you had one or the other. And get, getting rid of D'Angelo Russell, I mean, you know, that would help tremendously too. But I, I feel like at the end of the day, you're probably going to have to pick between one of those two who you want to keep going forward and move that other player into another asset. That might fit better with the yeah. team. Right. All right, so for my next takeaway, it's uh, the MVP race and who, who we've got going on here. Um, obviously, Jokic, he's in he's in contention to be a, a back-to-back-to-back MVP, which would be crazy. Um, Joel Embiid of Philly, um, he's in there. He's in that conversation as well. Luka, Luka Doncic is in that conversation as well. And I think... Jason Tatum of the Celtics is um, the other guy. I think those are the top four for the MVP discussion. Would you agree? You said Embiid, Jokic. Who else did you say? Luka and Tatum. Luka and Tatum. Yeah, I think Durant had a case before he got hurt. But yeah, yeah, that's that's that's, that's the that's really the four. That's the four. Those have been the four best players. In, in the and, NBA. and who do you think is the favorite right now, or who's your favorite right now? I'm I'm Team Tatum. I've been Team Tatum all year. All right. I've been Team Tatum. Tatum. I know you like to hear that, Eli. Yeah. <laughs> I know you like to hear that. Uh, no, I'm Team Tatum. I, I I think they have the best record. I I, I think the the numbers Tatum has are phenomenal. Uh, I, I I think he should probably get I, it. I am team Luca if he makes the playoffs, which obviously I think they are going to now for sure after the Kyrie trade. Uh, I just don't think you can miss the playoffs or uh, and be or uh, and be in uh, the MVP, and they they were in danger of missing the playoffs before this Kyrie trade. Um, but I think that team is pretty horrible without Luka on the team. So, I think he's my pick right now for MVP. That's absolutely fair. Luka for MVP, yeah. Luka, I mean, Luka was having a stretch where he was just scoring sick. Like, it was really like a vintage Kobe kind of stretch where he's just like... Well, for a minute, I was thinking, like, is he going to have an 80-point game? Like, where he was just scoring 60 points. Like, he just had a string of games where he's just doing whatever he wants to. It was kind of like that James Harden stretch the year where I think there was one point in the year where he was, like, getting close to 37 a game. Like, kind of MJ in the late 80s territory scoring. And Luka was really getting there. And I was like, wow. Like, he's scoring, like, nearly 40 points a game for, like, a month. Yep. And he's averaging, like, nine assists and nine rebounds while he's doing it. He's shooting, like, 50% from the field. Like... And maybe Giannis has also re-entered the conversation for MVP. I don't think he's going to win it because he's actually, uh, I know he's been playing a lot better over the course of the last month and a half or month or so. But his numbers are worse than his other, you know, MVP caliber seasons. So I don't see how you could give him the MVP nod when he's been, you know, slightly worse than his other better years. 
So my next takeaway is one that we had a conversation about this last year was with the Sabonis Halliburton trade. I think sometimes when we look at things and they happen, I think we immediately criticize it. And not saying that the Kings shouldn't have got rid of Halliburton because ideally if they just traded away Fox and had Halliburton and Sabonis, then the Kings would have been playing some 3D chess. But they didn't do that. But, it, I mean, it turns out. I mean, I would say I think Sabonis is actually having a better season than Halliburton. Sabonis, for me, I think Sabonis should have been an all-star starter in the West. I mean, he's giving you 18, 12, 7 assists, 60% shooting. Uh, his win shares, offensive win shares, PR, they're all, like, top five in the league. He's been extremely efficient. He's been the best player on the team that's now the third seed in the West. I, I think Sabonis... Uh, has a little bit of under-the-radar MVP case. Not top five, but I think he should find his name in the top ten for sure. Uh, So I do think now that as we look back at that trade, it's not as bad uh, as we would have thought when it happened. Uh, I think... Given how well Sabonis has played, it it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, well, I, I think this is exactly what I expected from the trade. Um, to be honest, um, he's, he's great. He's been playing really, really well. Um, like all-star caliber, obviously even all-star starter caliber, but I don't think, um, the Kings, you know, I think they only made that move because of the playoff drought and Halliburton is obviously, I think pretty clearly going to be the better player in the future. So, I still think the Pacers won that trade. It's not like the Kings, like, completely lost it or anything, but I think they were just desperate to make the playoffs again, and that they accomplished that with the Sabonis trade. Well, so right now, Eli, if the season ended today, they'd have home court. I mean, that's a big deal. I know, I know, I know. I think, I still think later down the line, you're going to be seeing... Uh, how much better Halliburton will be relative to Sabonis? Could I they? Think the Pacers uh, were the on the better end of the deal, and I still think the Kings made out well. But again, I think the Kings were on, uh, the Pacers were on the better end of it. Could they have gotten the deal done if it was Fox in the deal instead of Halliburton? Uh, at the time, no, no, because Fox was not playing well last year so Halliburton was the more valuable asset he's he's still had been better than Fox this year even though Fox has been great Um, I no I don't think they would have been able to get it done Um, so my next takeaway I wanted to talk about who the disappointments have been in the NBA this year given like preseason expectations and first teams that come to mind are Atlanta Hawks, Toronto Raptors, Golden State Warriors, and Chicago Bulls. What do you think? Atlanta Hawks. Oh, well, yeah, the the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Man, the Toronto Raptors started out so good at the beginning of the year, and then they just... You look at the standings two weeks later, and you're like, my God, they're one of the worst teams in the East. How did that happen? And, and the thing is, like, I, I, I'm not going to blame Nick Nurse. I think Nick Nurse is one of the best coaches in the NBA. I think you would agree with that, Eli. It just, yeah. 
The Raptors are too talented to be this bad. They're, they're just too talented. Like it doesn't. The personnel does not match the output, so it's just weird in that math equation right now. It just it's just weird. Yeah, I do think um, they aren't really good fits for each other. Like it's just it's like almost too much size, and not and also not enough shooting. Like they and they don't even have a true center with all that size. Like you have freaking. You know, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, uh, Precious Achua, Scotty Barnes. Like, that's just so much size and not even, and it's not even a crazy amount of shooting. There's no rim protection. Fred Van Vliet's had a down year. Like, I just don't think they have, like, all good individual pieces. And, you know, Gary Trent Jr.'s in there as well. But they don't really all fit together. And they're, I do think you're going to see them make some moves uh, ahead of the Thursday's trade deadline this week. Yeah, no, I, you're definitely going to have to see that. Um, and also, Scotty Barnes, I, I thought he would take another leap. I thought he would take another leap. I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, he, he was a guy that... You know, people are throwing around, too, like kind of in an Anthony Edwards situation. They see a guy who can take that leap and maybe not become an all-NBA caliber player, but start to become like a bona fide all-star kind of guy, right? Like be the best player on the team. Like I think that was something people expected. Similarly to how Tatum kept making those incremental growths when Tatum was really young. Um, I also want to talk about the disappointments of the Hawks, too, because they were, right now they're sitting in the eighth seed at 527-27 after making a, taking a big swing on DeJounte Murray. You know, I I don't think Nate McMillan is going to be the man for the job much longer in Atlanta. Um, I just, for some reason, John Collins isn't working out there. I don't think he's being quite used right. He's not a he's not a three and D wing like they're using him as. Um, mostly, uh, so I think he might be traded. I just they should be a lot better than they are, and I I, I do think it's coaching, um, in this regard, uh, opposed to the Raptors. Yeah, so for me, I mean, I'll follow up on what you're saying when you talk about the Hawks. And this goes specifically into Trey Young. Uh, Trey Young's just overrated, Eli. Uh, that I don't, I don't know what other words to use. I think Trey Young's a guy who was looked at a lot more fondly after the Hawks made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think when we look back on that, it's more of Philly lost it than, you know, Atlanta actually won that series and it was more of the incompetence of the dynamic duo of Doc Rivers and Ben Simmons than anything Trey Young was necessarily doing. And You look at the counting numbers, right? 27 and 10. I mean, that's that's nice, but he shoots 43% from the field. Uh, then he shoots 32% from three and he takes a lot of three-point shots. So it's not necessarily efficient basketball when he's your number one option 
He's also a very small, slender player. He offers you nothing in defense. In fact, he's an absolute liability. He doesn't even try yeah. on defense. And he doesn't even try. He doesn't really play off the ball either. So it's nope. just... He's basically just a high-volume fulcrum that just puts up a lot of stats and doesn't well, really seem to impact winning. So I will say, he has been efficient in years past. But this year, he's in a career... He's like, other than his rookie year, he's... Uh, this is his worst year in terms of efficiency. Uh, he's only at 56.7% true shooting percentage. Last year, he was at 60%. So that's a big dip. And I think to your point, that has a lot to do with being off the ball more. And he's just not a good off-the-ball player. Uh, so there are fit questions with DeJounte Murray still but maybe with a better coach he can unlock more Trey Young off ball you know actions isn't this his second coach though I I do think they they should give I don't think they should blow up the roster or anything especially after trading those picks for Murray I think they should retool trade John Collins for someone who's a better fit um and hire a new head coach and see where it goes from there. I'd, I'd go with a new coach before I go with a completely new roster. So you're out on Nate McMillan. I'm out on Nate McMillan, I'd say. I mean, you talked about a guy, about Trey Young benefiting from getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. So I think Nate McMillan is as well. The Hawks were disappointing last year, too. I don't think Nate McMillan is the guy. There's a lot of players there who are being used wrong. That's fair. So what do you have for your next takeaway, Eli? All right, so for my next takeaway, I just talked about the disappointments. Um, now I want to talk about, you know, the pleasant surprises. The And who I have here are Sacramento Kings, who we just talked about. Like, right now, they're the three seed. Um, the Utah Jazz, who are sitting in 10th at 500 ball, 27-27. Um, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, who are right now 12th. Um, and they're I think they're about to lose to the Warriors tonight, so they'll be just one game out in the loss column of the plans a playing spot. When a lot of teams thought they were just going to be another bottom feeder this year. Yeah, the Thunder have been very pl- the, the Thunder are one of the most fun watches in the NBA for me, Eli. Uh, I love watching Josh yeah. Giddy. I love I love watching that team like Jalen Jalen Williams um, the wing Jalen Williams not the big man um, Josh Giddy Shane Gilgis Alexander I think that's a really you know entertaining team to watch and I like seeing them you know overachieve uh, SGA has been obviously playing at a 
career level, all-star level. And um, same goes for Lori Markkinen in Utah, and that's why they're where they're at. They just got a bunch of solid players and then a breakout season from Markkinen. Yeah, that's been a big... Lori Markkinen, I mean, he's been one of the... Did you always think, wh- whose ascension surprises you the most, Lori Markkinen or Shea Gildas-Alexander? Markkinen, for sure. Uh, SGA was already playing at a star caliber level last year, even though it was just limited. And also, he was on a bad, really bad team, so he didn't get as much attention. I, I knew Shea Gildas-Alexander uh, was an all-star, um, was a future all-star, but I did not know Markkinen was. Yeah, it seems like the Cavs should have tried to hold, hold on to him. My gosh. Yeah. And once again, I don't think Eli Weisberger for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I don't think all of you for tuning into this episode. The 535th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. No, today, I just woke up and I said,